Test one, two, test one, two, test one, two. <laughs> yes, I wrote down some some questions, and you said you had some questions you wanted me to yeah, ask. Yeah, but maybe you got them already. Um, are we on? Yeah, we're on. Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are very happy to be back with you again, and we're going to be continuing on in our discussion of eternal life, and hopefully uh, getting back a little bit more this time to a conversational tone, but um, we are excited. This is an exciting topic, and one that I hope all of you will benefit from and enjoy. So what is the essence of Section 76, and what is... Why the big words, you know? Right. Why, why the celestial? Why this? Mm-hmm. And and does this compare to other scriptures we have? What yeah. what is what is the message we get in other scriptures about this? And why you know why would this seem so different? You know, just just things like that. And and that opens up where I'd like to go is just to talk about the okay, yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, you read writers like this, and I, I just put down a few quotes to talk about, and in general, um, heaven and hell, and why does, I thought about just kind of talking a bit about, like, does it matter what we believe and why, and um, okay, and because I, I was looking up some things on just basic things on heaven and hell and Christian's belief on that, and um, it's kind of interesting, but um, yeah, I think, Corey, there's so many scriptures that say so many things, including the parables in the Bible, that... Um, but again, the scriptures speak for themselves, and it's so hard to uh, to get around what they're saying. And I just want people to, you know, make make their own. Um, we just prevent present the evidence, and people make their own decisions. You know, I certainly don't want to try to persuade people and say we've been wrong all these years, and you know, how did we do this? But just simply presenting the evidence, it's there. And 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 then the questions are like, why does it matter? what we believe, why does this matter that we see these as they really are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause exactly. it all, yeah. If we don't, if we don't, if we don't, um, have faith in God anyway, it doesn't matter what, what I say, I believe theologically, but there's still got to be a connection with me and God to implement that into my life. Right. If, right. It, if it doesn't bring me peace and joy and change me from within, then it's no good. What I say theologically that I believe yeah, and it's one of these things too where you know you think about our debates we have. I mean, not you and me so much as just the world on hell. And it's kind of like, in the end, it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be, no matter what we say it is right now or believe right. it. it. It it's there. It, it somehow it exists. But the point of all that is that somehow in our in our aspirations, somehow in, in the way we convert people, um, somehow in giving people a clear sense of who God is, it makes a difference that we understand what that is and why it is. Right. And, and that's, that's one of these things where, you know, my, my turn, my thinking turned around when I just considered the fact that it isn't that God wants to send people from to hell. It's that he's trying to save us from that because that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And now the, the book of Mormon uses an interesting term where it talks about the lake of fire and it says their torments are as a right. lake of fire. And, and that, just gets to me because I'm like, no, that the torment, it's like you mentioned C.S. Lewis. It's, it's the torment for not loving and not, not caring and not 
coming to God, all those things catch up to you, and that becomes hell for eternity if you aren't saved from this flesh. Yeah. Yeah, and there's an interesting... Um, well, if, if we're talking about, you know, this final prophecy and the Jews and, and the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled, I was just looking at this Pew research that was done in 2014 where they they interviewed people on whether they believe in heaven or hell. Right. I had no idea on this. Only 40% of Jews believe in heaven and only 22% of Jews believe in hell. Oh, that's interesting. So what we believe about eternal life as the gospel is going forth back to the house of Joseph is very important on the message we bring to them if they don't believe it in the first place. Wow. Uh, and then what if the message then coming to them is, well, we're going to basically take you back to the Mosaic law and your reward is going to be based on all of these things that you do throughout life wow. on, on, on what kind of rewards you get, you know? Yeah. And they're like, well, this sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. So that's an interesting, um, interesting fact. Yeah, back in 2014, they was their last uh, major um, uh, survey of people that believed in heaven or hell, and it really hadn't changed from the previous one that was done ten years earlier or seven years earlier. But mm. about about 85 percent of Christians say they believe in heaven, and 70 percent believe in hell. That's it's interesting. That's a quite a bit of difference. On, well, uh, if you're Christian and you're that fifteen percent that doesn't, what do you believe in? I mean, what's what's yeah. what does your Christianity do for you? I guess, um, yeah, like the Book of Mormon says, you know, there's no hell, there's no punishment, mm-hmm. there's no devil. The mm-hmm. God, a loving God, wouldn't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What about uh, this? So, but if you go into the historically black. Protestants, ninety-three percent of them believe in heaven, and eighty-two percent believe in hell. That's that's interesting. That's twelve percent more than mainstream Christians they mm. believe. So, mm. and then Mormons, ninety-five percent heaven. This is really weird. Only sixty-two percent of Mormons believe in hell. Mm. I wonder if that's because they believe they would say that there's they believe in glories and that um, there's not a really, oh. or maybe they argue with in their mind, like, well, there's really not a hell. There's a lake of fire and there's celestial, terrestrial. I wonder. Mm, That's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I didn't know this. Only 7% of Jehovah's Witness believe in hell, 50% in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. The JWs, (laughs) I I don't understand their line of thinking completely, but. But yeah, the Jewish one, I think is really, that was really eye-opening. 40%, less than half of Jews believe in heaven and only 22% of Jews uh, believe in hell. You know, I I think to summarize all that, it probably comes down to something more like this. There There are people who use the Bible or the scriptures to, as, as their lens of how they see the world. You know, and so then they interpret the world through how they see the scriptures. And so that for them would define something like a heaven and hell because they're clearly stated. But there is a certain segment of the world that uses the world as their lens to view scripture. You know, they they turn it around and then the things they see around them, the, the conclusions they come to based on just their own worldview 
then becomes their way of interpreting scripture. And it's like, oh, well, you know, God can't do this or God wouldn't mm-hmm. do that. And it just can't be because I don't see that in the world around me. You know, and you can come to conclusions both ways. You can say God would never send someone to hell. Therefore, there can't be a hell. Or you can say there is no God because there's so much suffering in the world. You know, but that's using the lens, the, the worldview to, to shape scripture. And so that that minority, the people who don't believe in heaven or hell or whatever, may just fall into that category in general. And and I'm sure that that's across the board in any religion. You know, you get those people. Yeah. Well, going back to what you said, you said uh, you see it now as <clears throat> not God. Um, what did you say? God's not trying to uh, send us someplace but save us from someplace. Yeah, and yeah. that's those questions always come from like that – you mentioned that reporter at one time asking that Christian, you know, how can a loving God do this? Well, right. that's always from the bad point of view. But 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 like we said earlier, one thing that's just really st- stuck out to me is like, how can a loving God, you know, how can how can we be created by a loving being? How can we have this eternal home uh, waiting for us that um, is beyond any of our comprehension, more beautiful? And it's that's a really hard one to think about because when when you say beyond comprehension, it almost cuts the conversation off right there. Because mm-hmm. then you then you go on and you try to describe something. And Andrew Peterson, uh, he's a Christian artist, uh, author, songwriter. He talks a lot about this longing. He says, "I've never brought this up to a group of people that I haven't just watched people nod their heads. We've all had that longing for something." Mm-hmm. And and C.S. Lewis would tell us that means that we're created for a different world mm-hmm. if we're not completely satisfied here. Um, I read this this quote, Corey. It says, the, the common view of heaven and hell is that it's a deserved compensation for the kind of earthly life we lead. And that's basically summing up Christian. Yeah. Would you agree with that? No. I, I be, mean, would you agree that that's, I oh, mean, that's, that, that's, that's in the ring? The, that's like Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably, that's probably the general consensus. And right. it's like, and this is the, the revelation of the Book of Mormon, I think, is that it's it's different than that. The, the real message is that, no, we were all created for hell because of our transgression, our sin. And and it, I don't mean created for hell. That's wrong. That we were all destined, that mankind had no hope, that everyone would have been eternally separated from God. And that's the point of salvation. That's the point of atonement, because God knew the reality for all humanity. It wasn't that we all just had this chance and choice to, to make it better. No, God knew that we were all going to be in a bad way. So he intervened and, and that there's a difference there. there. There's a difference because it started with a problem bigger than any of us could comprehend, you know, our, our eternal separation from God. Yeah. Well, um, why, why is it important? Like you said, it, what it, what it is is what it's going to be. I mean, when I die, when I quit that breathing, when I take that last breath and my heartbeat stops, what it is is what it's going to be. Um, C.S. Lewis had this this little, I was reading about him this morning. He said that he used to be an atheist, and when he came to believe in God, he said that, um, and this is in his book, Surprised by Joy, that um, one of the most merciful things that he believes God did to him in his walk was that it, he was permitted for several months, he says, perhaps even a year to know God and to attempt obedience without ever raising the question, um, like what is future life? Mm-hmm. And so he says, without thinking about doing anything for a kind of reward, but just knowing this good and loving God, that that was a great mercy for him 
because he never questioned why he came to God. Was mm. it for a reward? Mm. That really makes me look at my own my own heart. Is everything I'm doing, everything that I'm seeking out in the scriptures about eternal life, what's the, what's the motivation? Is it to give myself peace of mind in the 80 years that I may be a, upon the earth? Right. Or is it to... Is it out of, <laughs> that's tricky because that's a catch-22 because my yeah. heart says, yes, that's exactly what I want to seek it yeah. for. But yeah. um, but my heart that's embedded by the Holy Spirit or penetrated by the Holy Spirit says, no, it's it's to just uh, to, to be changed into this loving creature that's able to bring more people to Christ, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know that it's it's wrong to be motivated by that because mm-hmm. ultimately the scriptures are given so we can be motivated for something right. better, you know. But but you're right. What what eternally drives us in our limited humanity? I don't really think we can know other than that's what it means to take it on faith that, yeah, this is the thing you strive for. But but what's interesting. And again, this comes back to clarity from the Book of Mormon when the Book of Mormon states, hey, the, the only people are saved who are saved are the are the broken and contrite. You know, ultimately, it just comes down to this. If, if all this work of scripture, if all this work of God, if all this work of blessing and suffering and everything doesn't bring us to the point where we realize some contrition because of our sin and realize, hey, I was nothing, I was hopeless except for him, then we miss the point anyhow. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's, that's ultimately all it can do for us is that you know, we, can, we, can, we can kind of define what motivates us in a lot of ways. But ultimately, the scriptures say that's the only real motive that's going to matter is if we ended up coming to God and saying, hey, I'm sorry, I was a sinner and I was unworthy. You you made the difference. Yeah, and the sooner we do that, the better off we are, right? There's so much motivation in this world to try to fill a hole inside by trying to be better than other people, by yeah, trying to be yeah. something prideful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and, and, you know, religions teach it wrong, too, because, I mean, and I don't even have to name names, but, but some who will add certain things to say, well, if you do this with your marriage or if you don't drink coffee or if you don't do this, you know, you're going to get a higher reward. And it's like it, it, th- all those things take you away from the true understanding of what it means to be broken and contrite, you know, because you can, you can go coffee-free and Coke-free your whole life, but if you aren't broken and contrite about your spiritual state, you miss the point. Yeah, this, the spirit of the Pharisees is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Righteousness based on what, what, like like it said in Christianity, um, just a common view that it's, it's I'm going to get this deserved compensation for the kind of earthly life that I led. I'm going to get this reward based on going coffee-free or going, you know, whatever. Um, that's really hard because we are told to be obedient and keep the commandments. Um, but... But not out of, we can't let that switch take place in our mind, I guess. We're we're doing it out of, you know. Right, it's a checklist thing. That's Mm -hmm. what the young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he has his checklist. Well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Okay, yeah. Right? And he says, what lack I yet? You know, he thinks I'm in. And then he tells him to sell everything, and it, and it proves that the guy with his checklist who kept all these commandments, his heart was never changed, right? (laughs) You know, And that's ultimately, I think, our situation is that we come to God with this checklist, assuming that the checklist is what finalizes the deal, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a change of heart. Well, we've we've spent several weeks talking about, I've lost track, I think three, maybe three weeks talking about eternal life. And I was just thinking, Corey, before we moved on, just about, you know, why 
I always wonder, you know, are these podcasts benefiting people? I know, I, I know, they kind of changed direction in the last uh, few weeks because we really got down into the scriptures and just wanted to present what the scriptures were saying, and that that may have left our conversational approach a little bit because yeah. of uh, because of wanting to just present that, and maybe that's harder for people to listen if they weren't sitting down with the book of scriptures open and listening. But um, but I want to kind of go back into that conversational approach as we move forward, because um, as I said, this, this topic's very important to me because, you know, we all get a little, um, we all get broken in different ways growing up. And I believe that I was broken in, in such a way that um, I didn't feel like I could ever measure up, you know, mm-hmm. based on a variety mm-hmm. of things that happened to me earlier in life. And so this specific topic of eternal life, the way it was taught or the way that I understood it, I should say, the way that I understood it, um, really, I think, did a number on my psyche and in my relationship with God. And the last thing that I want to do is try to pervert or warp or change the gospel to just make myself feel better. I'd rather come to the truth of God and have that fix me than make my own gospel and have that fix me. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So... But that's why I found complete, um, I found this freedom when I sat down with you many years ago and and after we'd had many talks about different topics, realized that it was a safe place to go and say, hey, what do you think about this? And when you started opening the scriptures, it was the first time I had met someone that um, saw the scriptures in a different light that I had been seeing it. And it was just, it was the start of a very refreshing um change in my life and that's that's still going on and as we've gone through second nephi the sixth chapter and the 19th chapter of alma um we've we've laid out some things uh and and we talked the other day on the phone about the book of mormon and how the plain and precious truths were removed from the bible and that this was supposed to restore and i think going through those things showed a very well it showed a pretty good clear picture. And I know there's more in the Book of Mormon that we want to get to of life after death and and the plan of life, really. It affects how we live here and what we're doing here, but how we perceive God. If I have a pressure on my on myself every day to be the best because there's a comparison, because there's you can't have different levels without there being a comparison. You just I don't know how you do that, right? Mm-hmm. 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 You can't have you can't have different levels without comparing yourself because when there's different levels or places of reward, you have to say, you have to look at a checklist. Do you, or is there another way to look at it? I mean, if there is, I want to see it, but it seems like, well, well, what do I do to be here? What do I do to be here? Yeah. And we looked at such words like just, this is just men, but then we saw that honorable men mm-hmm, <laughs> they are mm-hmm. like, well, what's the difference between honor and just? Yeah. That, I need to know that if it's the difference between a, a star glory and a, and a sun glory or whatever. Right. Well, you know, I think sometimes it's like, is it the tail wagging the dog or not? Like, we, <laughs> The scriptures are clear. We're supposed to keep the commandments. And I think even King Benjamin speaks to the people and says, hey, every every word, every thought, you know, is going to it's going to be confessed before God someday. You know, we're going to be brought into judgment for these things. And it's very, very true. But I think what what mo- what brings the change is when the spirit of God changes our heart, then we want to do these things differently. And our life reflects that. If our heart hasn't been changed, it's like you started out reading the C.S. Lewis about how the, the people never 
experience that change of heart and therefore their, their works are never those, those works of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Um, I, one of the things too, and it's like when God tells us how many times to forgive and they said seven times, cause that was a holy number. And he says, no, seven times 70. Well, he wants, he, he asks humans to forgive our, you know, you remember the parable about the guy who owed, owed the other one a buck and he, and he was going to hold him hostage, even though he had just been forgiven right. billions, you know, in our, in our dollars by the judge. Well, when, when, when he, I just went back to you figuring, calculating how much that actually was <laughs> yeah, on the way here for fun <laughs> while you were driving to my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so Siri helped on that one. Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is God, God asks us to forgive the seven times 70 of the $1 sins against each other because he, he not only forgave a much larger debt, but he's the one who's also willing to forgive all the time. And, and that's the important thing. If, if he wants us to forgive all the time, it's because he's willing to forgive all the time. And, and it's not a license to sin. It's just the fact that if your heart is broken and contrite, I mean, even like the, the son of Alma who, you know, fell into errors, he, he sends him back out and he doesn't say, well, you're done. You, you struck out, you're done. You know, you're sidelined. And I think that's just an important message for us to remember in our walk with the Lord is that Satan doesn't want us to get up again. He wants us to say, no, my sin is too bad. God can never forgive me. And and that's the opposite. Uh, God wants us to know, though, though that continue, continuing in sin causes a barrier that we build between us and him. And we never, and, 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 and if we continue, it's like a callus. It grows thicker and stronger and harder to penetrate. And that's the problem is that continuing in sin, eventually you get this barrier where you just feel despondent and you don't want to go back to God. Right. And hide like Adam and Eve. Yeah. yeah hide yeah. like Adam and Eve, right. Hide because of the sin. Exactly. That's the danger of repeated sin, I think. Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote, and it's this, this, these are not new concepts, but even maybe things that we've forgotten or that we just don't look at, but things change over time. But I wanted to read something he wrote and it says, he notes that Jesus words in John three nineteen. and think about this, Corey, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And he comments that we are therefore at liberty to think of a bad man's perdition or his sentence being sentenced to hell, not as a sentence imposed on him, but as the mere fact of being what he is. That's it. Exactly. That's, it's what it is. Yeah. We, he, you, you are what you are. And um, so that kind of brings us back to this, this agency, because I, I could see, I've listened to these podcasts over and over, and I know you and I, we've redone this, this section 76 <laughs> one several times, and, and none of them have made it to press yet. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is, hopefully this will be the one that does. But um, we talk about, because I've listened to what we've talked about over and over, I can see where maybe we haven't made it clear that, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that Jesus just does everything, and all I have to say is I believe? And no, absolutely not. But I believe that there's a series of events that transpire, some of them on this side of the veil, some of them we don't know much about, but it's it's clear that things take place on the other side of the veil. And it says after the suffering, his wrath, after bad things have happened, that he has a series of events to help us exercise our agency. And just like training up a child, you know, we eventually cannot make decisions for them, but we can surely 
guide them through through punishment, through lessons, through learning, hopefully mostly through love, yeah. um, to get them to act a certain way. Ultimately, the choice will be ours, and mm-hmm. there has to be. And so that brings me back to this image that I've always had of God is probably very warped, but I think it's it's been allowed to be there maybe for a reason. And that's when I was driving with my buddy and and he was telling me how great Jesus was, you know, and how much we owe to him. And I had this picture of me and Jesus walking, you know, down this gravel road and, and all of a sudden there's this well here and he, boom, he bumps me into this well and I fall <laughs> to the bottom of the well and I'm like, ah, why did you do that? <laughs> and then... He walks over and throws a rope ladder down and I climb out and he gives his hand out there and pulls me out of the well at the very end and, and says, there you go. And, and I'm supposed to run to him and say, oh, thank you for saving me from the well. You because know, you pushed me well, in. What a loving friend you are. <laughs> now, come on. That, but to me, in essence, we are born, it says, into a sinful world and that as we grow up, sin grows within us. And so we are thrown into that well yeah. in some sense. And the only... The only way that that parable or, or that that joy, that reunion makes sense is that when I come out of that well and he hands me that and puts my feet back on solid ground, that I am now in this existence that was so much better than that world that I was walking through a minute ago. Yeah. That's the only way that there's a ending to that that makes sense. And that's the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that entire climb out of that well while I'm doing that, there are things going on in my life with with my interaction with the Holy Spirit that God is um, God is is throwing out there that he is the impetus of, that he's the the author of. Those things are happening in my life to hopefully change my will so that when I come out of that well, I'm not mad at him for helping me out, but I'm just happy on where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder, too, about, you know, you can take an analogy in a lot of different directions, and they, they always apply in some area, but they're, they're not always the whole story. And, and, and the part about what, what is the great mystery of life is really, how did we get here? Is it that, Hey, we were walking along with Jesus and he bumped us in the well, but then he throws the lifeline down. Or is it that we were in the well and Jesus came to the well and found us in the well, you know? And it's like, we want to believe that somehow he put us here and he can, he can bring us out. Yeah, that's true. But that's part of the mystery of the universe that we really don't know. And it's like, Mm. if we take God for what his word is, there's more to it than that, you know, and, and it's like somehow we are here. When he said, let us create man in our image, whatever that meant, it was beyond our comprehension probably, you know, to take part of his energy, his spirit, and put it in a physical realm. We're already talking in things beyond our comprehension. But but the fact is that's apparently what happened. But did God do that because he intended to, knowing that we were going to fall, so then he'd have to save us just to kind of, you know, prove he could do it or not? I don't think so. I, I think there's there's something more. Um, I, I don't think there was any, you know, uh, duplicity there mm-hmm. at all. I, I really think there was something else beyond what we understand. And so I just see it as I here, – here's the other thing. Um, and And this makes me wonder about this existence right now because the scriptures say God has this is going to create this new heaven and new earth. And this is from Isaiah. And he says, and the former heaven won't be remembered or come to mind. So just considering that if, if there's this eternal thanks for saving us from this world, well, apparently in the new world, we don't even think back to this life. So what, what does that mean? You know, how, how is that 
factored into this I, because if we don't even remember what this world was like, you know, it's like hopefully Mike saying you and I are there and we're sitting around saying, Hey, remember when we used to sit in the basement there at the cottages and, and our recording <laughs> studio and all that, you know, that's saying, no, that doesn't come to mind. Or remember when we were sinners and now we're not, it's like, no, there's just like a new existence somehow. And so, so how this all works, I, I don't know. I, I like to say, I just have to take it on faith that this is why we're here and this is what we're supposed to do. And there's something bigger and better, you know, after it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that taking it on faith that and that's really uh that's what it all comes down to and there's a lot of things that we can choose to believe and it's just it's hard it's hard to believe something on faith when when you're feeling and everything about you feels so real and feels so harsh and feels so sad and broken at times that that there really is this loving spirit behind it all and a purpose for it all for the suffering but that's exactly what it is, and and I guess to me it makes more sense to believe in that and to believe in the words contained in the Book of Mormon that we have been given us than to believe in anything within myself that would say otherwise. I yeah. mean, I can choose. That's why when people start making their own gods and their own decisions and saying, I can live this way or I'm going to do this and it feels right and I'm okay, that makes less sense to me than believing in the word of God that's written in scripture and basically because of the freedom that I feel when I read it. Yeah. It's, it's like this manual of, of this instruction book. And when I read it and I feel this freedom inside, I think that's, that's where I get truth from. But mm -hmm. when I look at my own self, I don't find that. I don't, I don't find that. I'm glad there's something greater than me, um, mm -hmm. greater than me out there. Mm. This feels good to be back and just yeah, talking again. Yeah, it just again. feels good to be talking. You know, I was doing some work this morning for my day job and had made some breakfast as I was working at the computer at home. And and a little our little dog, you know, she's a beggar like they all are, but um, she, she was so happy with a little crumb off <laughs> my plate that fell to the ground. And, you know, she licks it up and looks for more. And, you know, every dog seems to be eager um, they don't care if it's just a tiny piece. They're just happy, and they're looking at you with eyes staring, <laughs> waiting for the next little scrap. And, um, you know, it's interesting because Jesus uses that same analogy when he talks about us and our blessings, how, you know, this woman comes to him and wants a blessing, and he, and he compares it to how, you know, the dogs are happy with the crumbs that fall off to the master's plate. These these things that bring us happiness in life, he's still saying these are just crumbs. You know, mm. there's there's so much there's so much more. And that's why it's like, take it on faith that there is a better, better life. And, um, you know, I wish I'd been more prepared in my life to realize that, you know, God does promise blessings and he promises deliverance from tribulation, but he, he says, but this life also comes with suffering, you know, and it, and it does. And it's and the suffering part. We, we don't want any of that, but it's ultimately through the suffering that somehow we sometimes make the, the hard choices and we, we come through and we grow you know, right. I, I, um, I don't know some plants like, uh, in my garden, uh, if I would take a plant that had grown up in the house, like plant a tomato plant and from a seed and it sat in the windowsill during the winter, trying to catch that winter light and it was warm and it was everything and it grew great. And it was already even putting out little blossoms. And then I just take that plant and set it out in the garden, you know, in April, 
half of them don't make it because all of a sudden the wind hits them or it gets cold at night and it gets all these, mm-hmm. you know, trials and pressure and tribulation. And, and pretty soon those plants are dead that, that didn't know how to endure the suffering, the hardship, the pressure. And somehow there's lessons in it. I mean, we wish we didn't have them, but the, the, the plants that uh, were more prepared for the suffering, they're the ones who survived, you know? Wow. Yeah. Andrew Peterson, I listened to a podcast this week, uh, an interview that he did, and he, he's become quite a gardener and he hated it growing up because his parents made him do it. But yeah. he learned, he said, if you want to learn about God, read his word and look at the world. And when he was down there on the ground, after going through several years of de- depression, he got down on his hands and knees and he was getting ready to plant his garden and he took his trowel and he broke the soil he had this experience with the Lord and said, in order for things to grow, I have, to, I am breaking this earth. Mm. I am breaking it. I am, I am injuring it. I'm digging it deep, mm. you know, wounding it to plant this seed, but then beautiful things are going to grow from it. And he says, everything in creation is set up to, to bear witness of him and what he's doing with us. Isn't wow. that beautiful? Yeah, it is beautiful. And, and, you know, even, even Jesus said, you know, he used the word corn of wheat, which just means a seed, but it says less that corn of wheat dies, you know, the outer shell has to die. The inner can't come forth and make new life, you know, and it all begins with breaking the earth and doing things that, that kind of cause harm. What keeps us from, um, just submitting to God and saying, yeah, I'm broken. I'm put into a sinful world. Um, I need to be changed and centered on other people and not self-centered on myself. But instead of Finding freedom in that, we spend all of our time building up walls and trying to make ourselves feel better, like we said, out of pride or showing our accomplishments or living a great life and showing how good we are. When the great freedom comes from just um, admitting where we are placed, admitting our faults, um, admitting that we're sinful, and that the Lord has power to change us, I guess. I guess maybe we're trying to show that the Lord has changed us. Maybe we're trying to make that real to ourselves, proving to ourselves that, oh, I'm a good person and the Lord has changed me. Um, But it seems in scriptures when that really takes place, people know and they're just transformed into new creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask a, a good question question and and there's many of them and i i don't know that i have all the answers but i know one simple answer to to put it in podcast terms is is why it's because we live in a body and 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 that's the the scriptures say it a little differently we we have taken on flesh you know and ultimately what jesus and and the people authors of scripture have, have explained and they're the ones who had the understanding not us is that just that act of our spirit inhabiting a body means that the flesh has a will, the body has a will that many times can overpower the spirit. And the and the point of this life is to give that spirit the strength and energy it has so it can direct the will of the flesh. Mm-hmm. You know? And and there's a balance there. And again, it gets into things we don't understand, but but somehow it's different when this body and the, when the spirit isn't in the body, it, it, it isn't, it doesn't come to these will, the will of the flesh and the drive and the need to fulfill our own satisfaction all the time. It's different somehow. Um, but that's, that's the point of this life is that God is saying there's a new body that doesn't die and it's going to be in, in perfect form, but your spirit is going to inhabit that body 
And this life is to get you prepared for that so that your spirit knows how to control its oh, will. You that's know? beautiful, Corey. You know? Wow. But that's, that's the point of the life that we're, we live is because we've got a body now that was created to die. Adam had this p- perfect body, I believe, when he was in the garden before he sinned. I, I think his his exodus from the garden also accompanied a change in his, his body state. Mm-hmm. But I can't say that without going to extra scriptural stuff. But I, But I think it's true. Something happened with Adam because um, he says he set cherubim with a flaming sword outside of that garden. Well, I don't know any place on earth that I can go and see these cherubim Mm -hmm. that are guarding this garden. And so something, the way things existed somehow were hid from our eyes. I mean, I believe God when he said that. I mean, he set cherubim with a flaming sword to keep them out of the garden. Was that just uh, poetic? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or was there creatures there? But whatever it is, that's not a place that we can go on vacation and yeah. and look from. <laughs> I mean, so something changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something changed. Something changed because then he said, "Hey, now you're going to die," and you and you weren't before. So obviously, something changed here. Now you're going to be dependent on this earth. You know, the it, it gets into the whole Darwinism thing. But I think the reason why. People see connections between how mammals' bodies work and how humans' bodies work is that there was a pattern about how all temporal flesh was made in this existence. And so, yeah, we're going to see similarities and biological similarities and things like that. But the point is that the original, hey, let us make man in our image, that body was totally different. It wasn't dependent on the earth, even though it was created from the dust of the earth with God's spirit. It was a different form. Mm-hmm. And that's the form God takes us back to, I believe. And and, and this is why section 76 is kind of important if, if you want to kind of get around to, to that conversation, because if you got 30 seconds, I can explain it. And <laughs> Go ahead. So Go I ahead. Mean, this is what my conclusion is on section 30, 76. And, and in the RLDS church, section 76 has become just kind of the shorthand way we talk about this description of celestial, terrestrial, telestial. We've always taken that to mean assignments in eternity. Mm-hmm. Planets or worlds. Planets, yeah, worlds. rewards rewards for after a final judgment. We've made a mistake. And, and, and you can see this when you compare section 76 to all the other scriptures. Section 76 does exactly what it says it is doing. It's telling us about the first resurrection. The first resurrection is when God comes to the earth before the millennium. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a description of the millennium. Now, that sounds kind of like too simple without going through the scriptures and explaining it, which we can touch on uh, without doing a complete scripture study. But what's interesting is we, we start with section 76 and we kind of say, well, here's the answer. And, and it kind of stands on its own. But until you compare it to the other scriptures about the first resurrection, you can come to this conclusion that somehow it's this thing after final judgment, but it isn't. It's, it's really talking about the state of people when they come forth in the millennium. And so what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, w- one of the places to start is simply um, Abinadi. He was killed for saying some things that were uh, outrageous to King Noah. And you know, uh, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of ours, we were just having breakfast with the other day, said something very, very profound. Um, consider Abinadi. He comes to a wicked 
group of people. He's not preaching in Zarahemla. He's preaching in King Noah's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And he had kind of risen up from them. We don't know where he got his information from or how he was inspired. You know, did angels visit him? Did he have a secret copy of the scriptures or something? But, But two things. He brings the basic message of God, salvation, heaven and hell, death, resurrection, eternal life. It's all contained in his words in just a couple chapters. And in the Book of Mormon, it's Mosiah chapters 8 and 7, 8, 9. But so he brings the basic message. That's the first point. And the second point, and this is the, this is the killer right here. And this is what our friend said. He died not knowing if he even made a difference. Mm. You know, and it's really, really profound because here he's preaching these people who first chase him out. He comes back a couple years later, continues his message, and, and he says, hey, you can kill me, but God told me there's a message to share and you're not gonna be able to take my life till I share it. So you might as well listen. And then, and he shares it and then to kill him. What's crazy is they even, they did listen. So he did listen, right. To, to, to be that wicked and yet still submit to the authority of whatever spirit said, Oh yeah, I guess we got to listen. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, you, you think about things like that, that God works by simple means. It's all, I mean, the rest of the Book of Mormon that we have basically comes down to the fact that one person, a guy named Alma, hears these words of Abinadi and writes them down, and his heart has changed. And then he he meets with some people who said, yeah, we, we believe that Abinadi guy, and they separate off. And then their, their new relationship with God, I mean, they bring in baptism, and their, their baptism, the words they share were, were beautiful for, for several reasons. I don't want to get into that just yet, but the... But the, the things that they discover from this change of heart, it's just so beautiful. And then when, you're, when you see this powerful effect in their lives and how it permeates the rest of the story of the Book of Mormon, how it was the people with the changed hearts who are sinners and who are rebelling against God, like Alma's son. I mean, Alma Sr. was this priest in, in King Noah's court too. But then you see these people who were rebellious where you see the Lamanites and they were a nation that was rebellious. But when their hearts change, they become more righteous than the Nephites. Well, you find it all comes back to these words he said, which were the very words that Jesus shares. But here's the difference. When Nicodemus comes and Jesus says, hey, if you want to know what to do, you have to be born of the spirit changed. Well, you don't see in such black and white terms, the effect of that changed heart in the people in Israel until after the day of Pentecost, or you see these apostles who finally, finally get their act together. That's all because their hearts finally changed. You know, Jesus is still with these people. And he said, Hey, to, to one of them, I think it was to Peter. He, he says, even in his ministry, when Peter's with him, he says, Hey, um, when you're converted, converted heal yeah. the brethren. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, what, what did that mean? He's saying the same thing. Hey, when your heart changes, you'll be able to do some good, you know? <laughs> and and so... I can imagine just, going over to a corner, sitting down, yeah, just exactly. pondering what the Ponder Lord just... what that meant. What? Yeah, exactly. When I'm converted, well, I've been a faithful Jew my whole life. You know, what does that mean? Right? Mm-hmm. And so, but it's beautiful that you see this clear effect of the change of heart in these people in the Book of Mormon. And... And you see the evidence of it in the in the Bible stories too, but the fact that Abinadi comes and he did, I mean, God must have assured him, hey, just share the word, it's good. But I think I would want to know, but did it make a difference? You know, was I just wasting my time? And so, 
Some of the words he shares, and this is the first place, I think, to start in just understanding section 76. Sure. Is he, he sees basically the, the first resurrection, which is the time when Jesus comes in his glory. Uh, now, he also sees, now remember, Benedict lives in the Old Testament times of the world, and he sees a vision of Jesus when he actually dies and is resurrected. You know, Jesus was the first to be resurrected, if you will, a, a spirit joining a body, and we defined that previously in podcasts. But he sees three groups of people. He sees the people who kept God's commandments. He sees people who are who had sinned in their ignorance that Jesus' blood atones for. And he sees people who are rebellious. And those people are cast out. But he sees those who kept the commandments and followed after God and believed the prophets and all these things. That's kind of group A. They're in the first resurrection. He sees these people who somehow were good in using the word of section 76. Were these the honorable or were these the just? But nevertheless, they their sin was atoned by Jesus, Not, but they didn't have a chance to live it out yet in life. And here's the difference. You've got the people who lived their life on this earth in the flesh, proved themselves, if you will, while they had this time in the flesh. And when Jesus comes, they're with him in like this fullness you have people who died somehow, but they didn't have a chance to live it out in this life, but they get a chance in the millennium. And that's the beauty of what we understand through the restored gospel. And then you have this final group of people who had a chance and knew or even knew very well and rebelled and said, I don't want anything to do with it. Those are the three groups. And, and Abinadi sees this. And if you, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures right now. I just kind of stay, want to stand at the 30,000 foot level. Okay. But it, yeah. it, it, Mosiah 8, 55 and, and onward, um, through about 10 verses, we get that story from Abinadi. He sees people who kept the commandments, people who died in their ignorance, and people who rebelled in three groups. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is that in the account of Enoch, according to the inspired version, Enoch sees the same thing. He sees a vision where Jesus dies, and he sees at that point in time, those who are dead in Christ stand on the right hand of God. Okay, that's the group A. He sees certain people in the prison house come forth. That Who are they? Well, they must have repented or whatever, but maybe they didn't live a life on the earth to prove themselves, but they somehow get to sit on the right hand of God. That's the group B. And then he sees some people remain in the prison house. That's the group C, those who are still rebellious. So we get the same A, B, and C from Abinadi. We see it in Enoch's vision. And then you jump ahead. More Latter-day Revelation, and it's in section 85. Joseph Smith shares this revelation, and maybe he saw this in vision too. I don't know, but he talks about the trumpet sounding. And and this is kind of verses 28, 29, 30, 31 in section 85. And he sees, he hears a trumpet sound, said the dead in Christ arise. Those who are in the paradise come down. They, they were the ones who followed God, kept his commandments, and they're alive on the earth during the millennium. Then he hears the, another trumpet sound. He said, these people were in the prison. They come forth in the millennium. And then he hears another trumpet sound. He said, those people who are bad, they get sent to the, the prison house for the thousand years. So once again, we have three groups of people. The people who kept the commandments, people who somehow had died and repented and now have a chance to live. And then we see people who were rebellious and their spirits were still in rebellion. Three groups of people. 
the the point of that is that that's continuous throughout Scripture, and there may be other places where it talks about that too. I, I I'm just giving three examples right now. So Genesis seven, around verse sixty four, I think. Um, Mosiah eight fifty ish through sixty something in the RLDS version, and then section eighty five in the RLDS Doctrine and Covenants. You have good in Christ who come forth, people who have been forgiven from the prison house, and people who remain in the prison house. So. With that, that lays a foundation. And when we see that picture evolving and, and explained in different places in Scripture, then we can come back with basic understanding to see what Section 76 is talking about. And it's talking about the same thing. Okay, And this is, this is where the difference is, is that, one, if we don't understand, and this is explained in the inspired version as well, Jesus and it talks about well, God says, Hey, he who died has, is pleaded before me, not just for the cause of people on the earth, but for the people in the prison house. He pleads their cause. That's in Genesis. Peter, first Peter three and first Peter four, talk about the people who are in the prison house, that they would be judged according to men in the flesh. In other words, people who are alive on the earth. So, so there's this hope for them. And First Peter 3 even says that Jesus even went there, right, to, to preach, right? He says, yeah, Jesus went there to preach, some of which were, were disobedient uh, were in the days of uh, Noah. Uh, right. So to me, that's one of the great things. And this, this may have been in an episode, which I don't think will air. We probably nixed it. But I just wanted you to say again, Corey, I asked you a question because this question was posed to me by someone who was uh, – who was, uh, believing in the traditional teachings, um, the way we've taught them that only a small group of people, well, they, they quoted the scripture in the Bible that says, you know, straight and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and broad is the path for you there be that find it. And I had asked you about that. And, and you talked about that in the days of Noah, only eight souls were, were right. saved out of what, whatever, millions, hundreds of millions. Yeah. We have no idea. And so, but yet Christ went to them and preached preached to the spirits in prison, and it says some of which who were disobedient in the days of Noah. Mm-hmm. So, why did Christ go to preach to them? And that's because that you just you just can't you can't be dumb about it. I mean, it has to be because they have, would have opportunity to respond. Right. That's it can't the only be because reason. he went down there to thumb his nose. La, 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 la. Yeah. Right. Right. Look where you're not going to be. Right. So, he, so they have a chance to respond again. So, the. the I love how you're doing this today, how you're just telling the story. This is this is great. And there's scriptures, like you said, let's stay on this 30,000-foot view. So continue on. So there's different times in the scriptures where it talks about, because this is going to lead perfectly into section 76 and what it starts with, with the only people who are not saved. Yeah. But yeah. talk about those times in the scriptures where people from the prison house come forth. So in, in Genesis, we see this vision of Enoch where he's asking when the earth is going to rest because he sees God weeping over the calamity. And, and again, Enoch's seeing the future. He, if this is before Noah and the flood and this is before, you know, all, all the tribulation then, but, but then he, he understands Jesus is going to die on the cross, be the atonement. And he says, Hey, when that happens, will the earth rest? And, and God says to him, no, but let me show you what happens. And that's when Jesus sees this 
great revelation that we're talking about of how people in the prison house, and I'm going to bring the scripture up here and just read this one verse, um, how people in the prison house stand on the right hand of God at the time when Jesus dies on the cross. And if you, if you want to, um, it's Genesis 7, verse 63 and 64. Jesus dies, all the creations of God mourn. And then in verse 63, and it says, but then the saints arose and were crowned at the right hand of the Son of Man with crowns of glory. But 64 adds on, and as many of the spirits as were in prison came forth and stood on the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God is where the good people just went. And now we've got the people in the prison standing in the same spot. Remember, there's a right hand or a left hand. Right. So however however you want to look at the right hand of God and what that encompasses, this shows that there's two different, I mean, there's, it's, defining the same place, and, and yet it was two categories of people, right. but they end up in the same place. And the, and the point, God has always defined salvation, and the Book of Mormon does it so well, as a parallel, either you're saved to the kingdom of God or you're cast out. You're on the right hand of God or you're on the left hand of God. That's salvation. Where we have, through misunderstanding of Scripture, we've turned... I don't know if we're turning the right hand of God into many levels or we're turning the left hand of God into many levels. But the point is, it's, it was misunderstanding that you're fully saved to the presence of God. That's the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. Or you are, you are separated from God. That's the left hand of God. There, there's not this, you know, hey, you're, you're saved, but you're going to be sent to your room for humanity and you can't be with God. That's not salvation. Right? No, because it, it talks about no filthiness can be in the kingdom of God. So, again, you're either saying the kingdom of God must have to have different levels or <laughs> or, or, or right. some other place has different levels that's outside of the kingdom, but, but that's not in the lake of fire. But we know that that's not true because there's only two places in the end. Yeah. So you're either made clean or you're not made clean. But there's no place so far in scriptures that we've seen where you can spend your final state being dingy gray. Um, you either completely, re- right? The Spirit of God either completely inhabits your body and takes over and you and you submit to that, or you become completely a son of perdition and an angel to the devil because f- some filthiness will either take over you or you become righteous. But you can't exist in a state of of the equilibrium. No, and, and those are just uh, excuses. Well, excuses isn't right because we didn't have anything to excuse. Those are explanations we came up with to try to justify what we thought the scriptures were saying. So we'd say, yeah, saved, but saved to what? Mm-hmm. That was how sometimes people respond to those questions. And when, when we come back to it, the, the scriptures are, are clear. You have all your sin washed away or you don't. And Jesus has either the power to wash away your sin or he doesn't. And that's where we've done such an injustice to his power and his saving grace by acting like, well, he could save us, but he couldn't save us to to, to be with him. So he gave us some consolation prize. And and people that's where people want to add in, well, it was your will that determined that. You know, you didn't want as much, so you didn't get as much. And it's like, no, these are all oral tradition that we've added to what the scriptures say. And then you you start thinking, oh, well, that must be what the scriptures say, or it must be in there. And it never says that at all. We've, this is, my my testimony is some years ago, and I feel bad about this in, in a way even confessing this, but I stopped going to Wednesday night 
church and and I and I kind of because I've I realized that you could anyone could kind of stand up and say anything they wanted and there was never any real check you know you could say well I had this dream and I saw this or I had this vision and I saw this and and that was all good but I realized I was learning a lot of things that I thought were doctrine by what people would say and I don't mean it was just happening at Wednesday night church but the the real point I'm trying to make is I wanted to stop listening to what other people's opinions were about what the scripture said. And I just wanted to read what the scripture said. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to see it through someone else's filter. I just want to see it. And and that's where, you know, when you mentioned earlier how, when we started talking, you know, years ago on this stuff, uh, it isn't that I came up with some theory or idea. In fact, I heard other people talking about it too, but I just wanted to read the scriptures and see, is that what it really says? It's like, yeah, you're either fully saved to God's kingdom or you're not. I mean, it's like part of the condemnation of the Gentiles who received the Book of Mormon is that we were going to reject the fullness of the gospel. And and this is one of the ways I think that we've rejected it is that the Book of Mormon is really clear and it's supposed to become it's supposed to be the standard for us. It will prophetically become the standard to the world someday, at least the House of Israel. And they don't know it yet. But we've taken these clear, plain, precious truths out of the Book of Mormon, and we've supplanted them with our own kind of notions and ideas, and we don't know where the boundary separates between, hey, what is a notion that people have been saying versus what do the scriptures actually say? And so what what I think is beautiful is when you come back to it, there's a, there's a plain and precious message right here in section 76 that's totally in sync with all the rest of the scriptures. And, and we've just kind of turned it around into something else. You, you've you set the stage perfectly, um, <clears throat> I think, <clears throat> excuse me, for our next episode, uh, Corey, because I, I like to ask people on Stories of the Saints, what's the gospel or what's the gospel to you? And I love to hear how people to define it. And we're going to find in section 76, within the first few verses, that something very amazing. And it says, and this is the glad tidings, and this is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be an exciting place to pick up next time because I think we'll we'll find, or for those that haven't read it in a long time, maybe it'll be a good reminder like, oh, that's that's what the gospel is? That's that's kind of a backwards way of looking at it, but that's what we'll pick up next time. This is, I've really enjoyed it. I feel like we've gotten back to our conversation. I've missed that, although I, I think these other ones were kind of, were good as well to go through the scriptures kind of one by one. But, um, but you said you're either saved or the kingdom or not, and that's... I think that's where we can pick up. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Nope. Today? Uh, right now. Okay. All right. Well, until next time, remember we're walking each other home. I did want to say, though, Corey, coming from just an RLDS perspective, we can sit here and debate about this, but remember what we said at the beginning. Only 40% of the Jews even believe in heaven and, mm-hmm. and 20% believe in hell. So yeah. if the message and the gospel is to go back to them, it is important yeah. <laughs> that we have a clear idea of what God is explaining and showing and, us. And, and what I can't wait for is the time when we talk about who, who God and Jesus are, because even a much smaller percentage of the Jews have that. Exactly. Good stuff to come. All right. Thanks, brother.